As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. The good news, the very positive news is most of the time these things are going to resolve all on their own. So there's really not a lot to worry about most of the time. Anybody experiencing this, most of them will have a, it doesn't affect your baby and you'll have a great birth with a baby that is nice and healthy when they are born. Let's get started with that reviewer of the week. This one comes from Court Mess 412 who says, my new daily ritual. I am so thankful for you and for this podcast. Through binge listening daily, haven't even taken the course yet, I have no fear or anxiety about delivering my first baby in November. Ooh. That is so exciting. Congratulations. Um, that's going to be coming up pretty soon. As soon as I found out I was pregnant in March, I started listening to your podcast and feel so empowered, educated, and excited for the remainder of my pregnancy and for birth and postpartum. So that is awesome. Guys, if you don't know yet, the postpartum course is totally out. Um, we've advertised it a little bit. Anyways, if you're interested, it is myessentialbirth.com forward slash postpartum. Go check it out. If you haven't jumped into the birth course yet, you can add it on for an even smaller price when you bundle them at checkout. So go take a look at that, certainly. Um, yes, now we can support you all the way through into that motherhood stage, all the way through the first year, which is really awesome. But let's get started with today's episode, which is all about subchorionic hemorrhage, and there are some other names for it. If you have not heard that term before, maybe it's because this is not an issue for you and it never will be, and that's awesome. Uh, maybe it will be, and this will be really helpful to you, or maybe you've experienced this before and this will clarify some things or kind of remind how uh, things went or how they could have gone. Anyways, it's just information. Uh, this is a topic that has been recommended by listeners. This is something that moms certainly deal with, although it's not crazy. Um, I was going to say popular. Popular is not the word. It's not like super normal. This is one of those like more on the rare side of things. But if this is something that's affecting you, then you're going to find this topic super interesting. And if it's not, stay tuned because having that information either to share with somebody or for a future pregnancy or the pregnancy you're in right now can be really helpful. Now, subchorionic hemorrhage, obviously any kind of bleeding that you have during pregnancy is going to be scary. And the first thought, is probably always the worst one, the darkest moments, right? Where it's like, oh shoot, I'm miscarrying or something is really wrong. Um, this is emergent, immediate, all, all of those crazy thoughts, which are totally valid. Anytime that you see uh, any kind of trickle of blood or there's any kind of bleeding at all happening downstairs um, at any time during pregnancy, then obviously that's time to go see your provider. It's also going to be concerning. So for this particular case of that, we're going to go over the details of that today. Now, subchorionic hemorrhage, 
that's the like scary word, right? The hemorrhage part of it, because obviously it's discussing bleeding and a decent amount of it. Um, it can also be called a subchorionic bleed. But what causes it is, and there I'll go over risk factors and all that kind of stuff too, but what causes it is where the placenta originally attached to your uterus, there is some um, that original implantation site, it has detached in that area, uh, maybe a little, maybe a lot, and some blood has formed where that has detached. So your amniotic sac has two layers to it. There is an inner layer that is what is touching and closest to your baby on the inside of that amniotic sac. And then on the outside of the amniotic sac or that second layer layer is called the chorion. And that's the part that if it's going to um, be attached to the uterus or next to the uterus, that's that chorion part. That's the the second layer, the outer layer. And so when we're talking about a subchorionic hemorrhage or hematoma, then that's the area that it's affecting. It's kind of this gap between your amniotic sac and your uterus. So, and then what is happening is there is blood that has trickled or formed or kind of like stagnated there or is is just there. You have blood in between those areas. So that is what's happening when you hear that term. Um, what happens as far as pregnancy goes is it causes vaginal bleeding. So, you know, instant concern is, is my baby okay? And it is actually the most common cause of bleeding between 10 to 20 weeks of pregnancy. And it actually accounts for 11% of all vaginal bleeding that you would have during pregnancy. So that's just some basic information around kind of what it is and a little bit about what to expect. And hopefully, if you do experience some amount of bleeding during that time, it can help you be a little bit calm. I'm going to tell you uh, what that looks like and what that bleeding actually means versus it being like, holy cow, like bag of waters is broken and there's bleeding or other things like that. Obviously, that would be way scarier. So to know that it, it there it while it's rare, there is a percentage of that that is happening, then just calm yourself one step at a time. Nice deep breaths because baby gets those nice deep breaths too. And obviously, give your physician a call, head to the emergency room. It's something you want to have checked out right away. Now, symptoms are going to be um, vaginal bleeding that can range from spotting to heavy bleeding with clots. And obviously, both will be scary. Uh, but it, And it can sometimes be accompanied by cramping, but that's actually not common because it's not like when you're having a miscarriage, for example, and there are other things that are happening inside that cause some of that cramping, this isn't necessarily something that's going to cause cramping, which is why you'll have the vaginal bleeding, but you probably will not experience any cramping. It would be even more on the rare side to have that part of it. Sometimes you won't experience any bleeding, and it's actually caught on a first trimester ultrasound. So you like really nothing to worry about or nothing to think about, right? Because it's just there. So that's kind of just information. Um, but it would appear as a crescent-shaped area behind the amniotic sac. So yes, when they're in there, they're looking at like, how old is your baby? And they're doing all these measurements and stuff. Blood flow and looking for pockets of things like that. That is something else that they are taking into account when they do that ultrasound. Now, who is more at risk for this or what can cause this? That's always really good information, but remember, just because I'm naming some of these things doesn't mean it's going to happen to you at all. <laughs> so this is just, if you're experiencing it, then you're like, oh, I can kind of put some of these things together, right? So uterine irregularities, a history of uterine infections, a history of uterine trauma, um, history of miscarriage, 
IVF pregnancy and high blood pressure. Those are kind of some of the basics of what they have found lead to or um, put moms in a higher risk category for experiencing this. Now, when to call your provider. So, Obviously, if you notice any bleeding, any trickle of blood at any time during pregnancy, you immediately call your provider. If there's like big, heavy blood clots, all that stuff, obviously you're headed straight to the emergency room. I always say with any kind of like vaginal bleeding, I would be on the the phone with the provider while I'm getting ready and planning to head to a hospital out of complete abundance of safety. Um, But along with that, say that you know you have it already, um, that would be any changes in your symptoms and and any um, amount of like bleeding increase. So say that you know that you have it already and I'll go over kind of how it affects the pregnancy and what the process is and all of that. Um, But if you're noticing that any of that increases, if you have any cramping or contractions, obviously, if you're dizzy, lightheaded, all of those things, that would be like call to the provider on the way in. All of those would be, yes, go visit the provider. Now, how is this going to affect your pregnancy and your baby? That's the part everyone really wants to know about, right? The good news, the very positive news is most of the time, these things are going to resolve all on their own. So there's really not a lot to worry about most of the time. Now, of course, your provider is going to be working with you. And if there is reason for concern, cause for concern, reason that you need to be on bed rest or whatever they decide, then that will be a conversation that you guys have and you'll get to decide that together. But I want that to be really positive that if you hear that you have this, it does not need to immediately be a big, scary thing, that it is something that can totally resolve on its own without any complications. Now, In some cases, there are going to be those rare cases, as with anything. Um, It can cause miscarriage, preterm delivery, and placental abruption. So rare on the scarier side of things, most of the time not an issue. But if it is, those are some of the things that can happen. Um, It is associated with an increased risk of pregnancy loss if the hemorrhage accounts for 25% or more of the volume of the sac. So just information, stow it away, but it can increase that if there's a lot of blood involved with the volume of that sac. Now, most of the time, subchorionic hemorrhage does not harm your baby. Um, If it's small, if it's a small bleed, it may never cause any problems at all. Um, However, if you are wondering could there be a concern? We have found um, in our research that large hemorrhages that occur late in pregnancy can be a little more concerning. That doesn't mean it's going to be a very large concern. However, if it is found, it's large, it's later in pregnancy, then that would be a greater cause for concern. Subchorionic hemorrhage in second and third trimesters has been associated with preterm birth, premature rupture of membranes, So obviously the breaking of your waters before contractions have begun, like preterm. Fetal growth restriction, so it's causing issues with baby being able to grow, um, maybe get what they need. And then fetal death, as well as neonatal pulmonary morbidity. So baby doesn't get enough oxygen after birth because their blood vessels are under or abnormally developed due to what was happening uh, during the pregnancy because of this. Severe cases can lead to that placental abruption. Placental abruption is when the placenta comes off of the uterine wall prior to baby being born. So as soon as that detaches, then baby's not getting what they need in the way of oxygen and anything else. And so obviously that would be very scary. But again, in most cases, it is important to note that 
anybody experiencing this, most of them will have a, it doesn't affect your baby and you'll have a great birth with a baby that is nice and healthy when they are born. Okay, so what does the treatment look like or what can you expect if this is something that you're diagnosed with? Pelvic rest is going to be the number one thing that is recommended. It used to be bed rest, but they found that that's actually more harmful than good. So when we're talking pelvic rest, nothing inserted into the vagina, meaning that would be a stop to any intercourse or anything like that. Um, but with what they found is that with those that were doing the bed rest, they were finding it actually increased blood clots and it increased depression for moms. So obviously those two things were nixed. That was not a good idea. Unfortunately, there's not really much that you can do except for wait for it to dissolve on its own. And I would say in that case, we're looking at a lot of positive affirmations, um, looking for really positive stories maybe of other women who have experienced this and had great outcomes, whatever you can do to get your mental state in a good place and do the things on on the daily, I would say like routine things that are going to help you be in a good place. That can include uh, the three exercises. Maybe you don't do the forward leaning inversion, but you can still do your three exercises I would do anything routine. And if you're concerned about those at all, you can nix those as well. Have that conversation with your provider. If it is not a good idea to be squatting or pelvic tilting, don't do that. I would say in the way of routine, though, whatever your morning routine like looks like, whatever your daytime, whatever your evening routine looks like, try to keep on that for the mental state. It's going to be good for the body to be doing those things because it's what it's used to doing. And that's going to remind your mind and wherever you're at emotionally that like, this is just another day. We're working through it. Easier said than done. Anytime there's something to be concerned about, you can't help it. You're going to be in your head a little bit. But if you can control what's happening in your head, if you have a little bit of control over that in the way of positive affirmations or whatever, um, birth stories that you're putting in your mind, whatever that looks like for you, then it's going to be a little better of a process as you go through it. And obviously working side by side with a really positive provider is really good. Now, if you are an RH negative mom, um, that is where we talked about Rogam before and when is a good time to get it. Normally, it's going to be a little later in pregnancy. So you have one kind of like later in pregnancy and then after baby is born. And with this, anytime there's any bleeding happening inside where mom and baby's blood does have an opportunity to cross, that is a time that you're going to want to utilize something like that. So a Rogam shot for those who are RH negative will be offered and done during that time. So that's just kind of information. Um, I will make sure that I link the Rogam episode that we did here within the show notes so that you guys can like take a listen to that in case you're curious about what I'm talking about there. Now, there's no set of time, which is kind of frustrating, I know, but no set of time for how long it's going to take this to resolve. So whether it's big, whether it's small, it doesn't necessarily say that one's going to resolve easier or faster than another. So that's just information, again, kind of understanding that we don't have control over this. This is what we have in front of us, and we wait to see kind of how it plays out. So if there are things that you are concerned about, though, like if you're uh, really big into exercise, whether that's like swimming or CrossFit or weightlifting or whatever that looks like for you, if there's questions along the way there, that's just something you're going to have to work out side by side with your provider. The nice thing is, and I'll get into it in a moment, but the nice thing is, is it doesn't necessarily make you high risk by any means. So it would just depend on how things go and who you're talking with so that you can um, make sure that you get the care that you need. 
Now, hematomas like this, uh, if they do resolve, sometimes they can resolve really quickly, like within a couple weeks and then they're gone. Obviously, you're going to be working with your provider, have those ultrasounds, whatever you need to be able to check that in. Other times it can be large and it can cause problems. And so your provider should be able to tell you if that subchorionic hemorrhage is going to resolve itself just from the ultrasound, which is again, helpful information for you to have. Now, I mentioned this a moment ago, but a big question is, is this going to make my pregnancy high risk? So it depends on how big and how severe the hemorrhage is. But as I said before, since most of these things do resolve on their own and whatever, uh, when they are looking at the ultrasound and all of that information, they'll be able to tell you, is this something that we need to transfer you to a high risk doctor for? Is this something that we can manage on our own? Certainly with the smaller hemorrhages, uh, whether or not it's creating no spotting or minor spotting, then no, that's just, we're just going to keep an eye on it and things can continue as they go. Remember that your provider is going to continue to monitor with ultrasounds throughout that pregnancy until they resolve. That can look like every couple of weeks, uh, just depending on the situation and if they want to see you in office or if you can kind of keep track of things at home. And then if it's large and it's causing a lot of bleeding, then they're probably going to treat that pregnancy as if it was high risk. But that does not mean it does not take away from your ability to have an incredible birth. It doesn't take away from your ability to have an unmedicated birth if that's what your goal is. So it is just something that can happen along the way. And then working with good providers that are there to help you and support you will ensure that you're still going to get what you're hoping to get out of your birth experience. So again, kind of while it can be scary, most of the time, even even when it is the scary stuff, most of the time it will resolve or not cause an issue so that you can have the birth that you're looking for. If you are one of the moms that experiences the more severe side of things um, and you are concerned about things like preterm delivery or loss and you are high risk and all of that stuff is happening, I just want to send my love to you because there is nothing worse than not knowing if what you're experiencing is going to affect your baby, if it's going to affect you, how that looks for you. And so again, I'm going to really recommend like just like what we recommend within the birth course, relaxation practice, uh, meditations. I have a couple. I'll link them here that I've done even just on the podcast before. Positive affirmations. Uh, I'll link the find it and flip it exercise. So for those of you who are feeling fear, and this doesn't have to just be because of subchorionic hemorrhage or anything like that. It can be fear just around the pregnancy, around the birth, around motherhood. Anytime you have some of those fears, we use this find it and flip it exercise where you like take those negative thoughts on one side and you write two positives and the exact opposite of those and you start saying them. And it does. It changes the chemistry in your mind. Um, it kind of like it, it helps you emotionally. It helps you to be in a better mental state. So those are all some things that you can do. Like I said, I would look up and see if you can find any positive birth stories um, or blogs or somebody that shared something about this was my experience and it matches yours, but they had a really positive outcome. All of those things can help set you up for success. And then if you are a mom who has um, obviously talking with your birth partner, right? So like communication, working with your birth partner, prayer, meditation, any all those, any and all positive things that you can add into your daily routines is going to be really important. If you are somebody who is working with a doula or a midwife, um, those are people that you can utilize as well. The midwife may or may not be having to either have you see a second person such as a maternal fetal medicine or an obstetrician. Um, 
and they may or may not be able to continue working with you depending on the situation. However, whoever your provider is and whoever your doula is, if that's people that you have involved in that, those are people that can also help like, hey, I am scared about this. I'm not in a good spot about whatever. And you can have them help you work through that. Doulas are really great about sending you positive articles or here's some information that I found uh, in the way of this is not good and bad information. It's just information. And also here's some positivity (laughs) to help you along the way. Because even if you are experiencing something that is very rough, having somebody that can hold your hand as you go through it. And obviously your birth partner is going to be part of that, but it can really help to have kind of a third party person there as well. Um, Having somebody help you through that is going to ensure that whatever the outcome is on the other side of things that you were in a better uh, physical, emotional, and mental state for you, for your birth partner, for your life, um, and hopefully for your baby um, either way. So Yes. Um, All of that to say, if this is something that you experience or you know somebody who's experiencing it, it's information, tuck it away. You can come back, re-listen to this. Make sure that you utilize all of those things I mentioned that are going to be free and within the the episode here so that you can download those. And as always, if you guys have any questions, you can chat with me in my DMs on Instagram at myessentialbirth or shoot us an email at hello at myessentialbirth.com.